The FDIC, which ensures the financial soundness of the banking system, has a few weak financial controls of its own. That's what the Government Accountability Office found in reviews of FDIC's contracting in two investigations. Now auditors have a couple of more recommendations for the agency. Here with details, the GAO's Director of Financial Management and Assurance Issues, Jim Dalkin. Jim, good to have you back. Thank you, Tom. Good to be here. Now, in the 2019, I guess in 2020, looks at FDIC, what did you found? What are they contracting for with respect to their oversight of these big, large banking funds that they're charged with maintaining? Well, every year, the GAO does a financial audit of the FDIC. And part of that financial audit is to look at their disbursements, the money going out. And typically, we make a statistical sample, if you will. And in this last year, we found that there were about five instances where there were issues in terms of the payments and the controls around those payments that the FDIC would make, mostly for administrative services. Yes, this concerns the Deposit Insurance and Federal Savings and Loan Insurance Corporation Resolution Fund, the two big funds they oversee. So these are the acquisition of services to help them run the funds? Yes, this would be telephonic support and other typical contracty type of cost. And what is the particular controls they're lacking or what aren't they doing with respect to those procurements? Well, what we found was that while they had policies and procedures in place, what we didn't see was a level of rigor in terms of the actual review. So if you have an invoice, you may want to match it with another piece of information to make sure it's proper or match it to a pricing schedule. And they did have the requirements that their administrative people do that, but it looks like they just didn't do it with enough rigor because we found mistakes. And what are the value annually of these contracts? Are these in the billions, hundreds of millions, 57 cents? Some of the contracts we looked at were around $300,000. Now, in this case, again, we're doing a sample. So what we'll do is we'll look to see if they properly have put those controls in place, and it's a sample size. So if there's an issue, then we would project it. So we did not find significant dollar deviations as much as deviations from what their policies and procedures were. So it's a potential for improper payments or mistaken money, but there's not that much evidence that actually money went out the door wrongly? Exactly. In the five instances we identified in our stat sample, only two of them related to dollars. The others were just that they were not doing the policies and procedures to safeguard And so we flagged those as well. But because there were five of them, it was enough for us to put something in our report. Yeah, it looked almost like they had a systemic problem, perhaps. Yes, that's what we look for. And in the type of uh, report that we did, it's, it's really telling those in charge at management that they really need to look at this. And they have. We're speaking with Jim Dalkin. He's Director of Financial Management and Assurance Issues at the Government Accountability Office. And before the latest two recommendations, what had you recommended to FDIC from the earlier audits and what was the reaction to those? Have they taken those out? Well, in previous years, we really didn't have the the same type of issues. There were a few IT-related items that, that we alerted management to, but they really haven't had this level of an issue previously. All right. So what are the new recommendations? What do you tell them to do here? Well, in essence, what management needs to do is really increase the rigor of the reviews. 
and or increase the monitoring to make sure those reviews are done and they're done accurately. Is this a function simply for the contracting shop or should the CFO be involved? I mean, who does this apply to, I guess I'm asking? It's really a combination of everyone. So the CFO shop has responsibility, but you really need in a large agency such as FDIC, you really need to have coordination of all parties involved. Yeah, FDIC, I guess, is one of those agencies that's fairly big and oversees a big pot of money, a couple of big pots of money, you know, to rescue banks if need be. But yet they don't really do a lot of large-scale procurement like, say, the Defense Department does or, or VA, do they? No, they're not buying some of those big assets you might associate with the Department of Defense. But they do have a lot of procurement related to just their operations. And that's, that's an important element. And that's really what we were looking at here. And what was the reaction? Well, they looked at it. They agreed with our comments, and they have put a plan in place going forward to remediate those issues. And if there is a need for greater oversight, greater examining and comparing of documents, for example, before money is paid, before invoices are approved, can that be something that's systemized? I mean, you're not asking them to make eight-part forms and pass them around the agency. Now, it's really monitoring that review process. And what we will do is during our audit next year, we will go in and see if there has been progress. In a way, we will be checking on it. Is this something you see from time to time across the government? The little inattention around the edges that, if left unfixed, could get closer to the danger of improper payments? It is something that we see in government. You have a, a lot of dollars going out, you have a lot of contracts. And in a lot of the governmental people that are paying those contracts have a lot of time pressure and a lot of invoices to get through. So I think it's good to remind them, hey, you need to have sufficient monitoring. You need to have sufficient reviews so something doesn't go out that should not. Jim Dalkin is Director of Financial Management and Assurance Issues at the GAO. As always, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Tom. We'll post this interview along with a link to his report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a BS from the University of South Carolina and an MPA from Harvard University. Rick, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style? You know, this past year has clearly uh, presented some unique challenges that uh, certainly me uh, or I as a leader uh, have had to adapt. Uh, you think about a pandemic, for example, 
that has placed us in probably one of the most challenging circumstances is sort of lead in a virtual world now. I've not been in my office uh, for nearly a year. And and the idea that we don't have the human interaction, uh, which I think is very important when you think about the empathy that is a a very important value of leadership. So trying to lead from a virtual uh, environment chain and be empathetic and be sensitive to the needs of others has presented terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America and certainly within me uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, in, in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to, be, uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions. Uh, on those on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here and we're moving forward. Perfect. Throughout your career, what have been some pivotal moments or lessons learned that have shaped the leader that you are today? You know, there have been so many moments, Shane. I, you know, I grew up in rural South Carolina uh, quite honestly, at a time when I, I mean, I saw what legal segregation was. I mean, I, I wasn't able to go to an integrated school until middle school, being bused across town. And I remember, as strangely as it may sound, uh, in 1979, I wanted to run for vice president of my student body at Lancaster High School, a liberal school. And I had to run on the ballot as vice president black, literally. And there was another candidate who ran as vice president white. And the irony of that story uh, is that the following year, I ran for president and I won overwhelmingly. That was a lesson for me in leadership. And, and the lesson there was, you know, perseverance, uh, have the tenacity, uh, have a vision and overcoming barriers. And, and I didn't let the idea uh, that the construct that I had to run as vice president uh, 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 deter me from reaching my bigger dream which was to represent students. So I know that's a, that, that perhaps may be a small example of leadership, but it really did define how I view myself, uh, the vision that I have, uh, my willingness to, to fight for change. And that was, that was the beginning. I think that set the foundation of how I lead. And there've been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, the, the massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, a very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life. And, and it conjured up, again, these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is. And, but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh, to help close that divide. So there have been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you, even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the U.S. Cha- Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community, uh, inspired by that tragedy. And now we have a whole broad, historic sweeping, what we call equality of opportunity initiative that I'm leading, that I, that, that I was inspired to develop. And we're bringing together corporations from across America to address what we call equality of opportunity. So my point there, I think with all of these moments, they've all been pivotal moments at different parts of my life, my career, my journey. And I've seized those moments to make the best uh, of of them, of of what I could. 
That's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, who is the most impactful leader in your life, and what quality did you admire about them? You know, I, again, I, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who, uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most, and that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values, but the one, the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream, which we often define and think of his big, I have a dream speech. But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So the, the idea that leaders have vision, uh, despite the challenges, is seeing a forest despite the trees, is seeing an opportunity despite the barriers. And that that attribute, I think, is one that that I embody. I mean, I, I I'm very optimistic, uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I I learned and that I tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King. Wow, fantastic! And as someone who's got an extensive background in federal service uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give? to feds looking to develop leadership skills. And, and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. Um, what comes to mind there? Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the, the, the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a secretary of commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career, not just for the title and, and, the, and the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees. And, and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet or snow, uh, who bring innovations, but yet don't, don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of, of being a leader. Uh, and and, and, and I, I, I built so many friends who were federal employees, not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants. And I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the Secretary of Commerce. And I, I, my office was on the floor at the top floor. We call it the blue carpet, Jane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day, as many days as I could, just to sit down and talk with employees. And I grew from that. And, and, and there were so many times where I took their ideas back to the blue carpet and said, and I told the Secretary Locke, you got to go down and sit down and talk with regular, common, everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And, and that may be something that, uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they, they, those are the hard workers. That's where the work gets done. And, uh, and, 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 and so I think that's a lesson for me. If there was some advice and counsel I could give is to continue to do your work, but, 
But we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do. Rick, thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. Uh, I love every single one of them. You've got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.